Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I could preach a very short message this morning, um, but I won't. Um, I, I could preach a message and just say, as believers, be holy, be righteous. But it's interesting how many people have varying opinions on what righteousness and holiness are. The Bible, something that we've talked about before, is that the, the transcendence of our worship is in proportion to the depth of our knowledge and understanding of God. Amen? The, the, the closer you are brought to God, the more you know Him, the more His holiness is revealed to you, the easier it is to worship Him. Uh, be, I remember uh, I went to the Ohio State-Michigan game a few years ago, and my seat was the last seat in the building. So in that bend of the horseshoe up against the fence, all the way at the top. That was my seat. So I decided to get closer. So I walked down and I got right on the field, as close to the field as I could get, up against the railing, just in time to see the Buckeyes make the winning first down. It was good stuff. Amen. It was, it was a spiritual moment. I got down. We had Lord's Supper. It was great. Um. But you know what was wild to me? How big those guys are. And how much faster they are when you're right there on the field than when you're all the way up in the nosebleed seats. How much different it is. So here's the idea. Up in the seats, I'm thinking, you know what? I think I might still be able to play. You get down there, not me, baby. <laughs> no, where's the popcorn? I'm not doing this. And it's so interesting how the closer you get to the reality of something, the more you can appreciate it. It's like when you go into the diamond store. We just did this, you know, because it was our anniversary. And so this lady, they've got this new gadget where the lady puts the ring on the, the glass and they put this box over it. And you look through this thing so all you can see is the diamond. What, are you going to carry one of those around with you? You know, here, you got to see how brilliant this diamond is. Why do they do that? Because the closer you inspect a diamond, the more beautiful it is. And it's interesting, the more that we know about God, the depth of our understanding, our knowledge and understanding of God through His Word, the more transcendent our worship is. And it's interesting to me that a lot of the churches that are known for their worship, there's very little doctrine or teaching done. It's all about how I feel about God. There's music that gets you built up into some kind of an emotional feeling, and then that's worship. No, that's glands. It's endorphins. It's not worship. Worship is based on the knowledge of the reality of who God is. Amen? The flip side of that is how unbelievably practical the Word of God is. How easy it is to understand. So here, the first Sunday of the year, 
I want us to be reintroduced to what true holiness is, true righteousness is. Who are we supposed to be in the local church? What is God's plan for us? Let's start reading in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. The first thing that we see is our mission. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. What is our mission? Our mission is to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. If I asked you what your vocation is, you might say, I'm a teacher or I'm a plumber or I'm a, I'm a homemaker. No, that's not your vocation. Your vocation, if you're saved, is a child of God, an ambassador for Jesus Christ. That's your vocation. You're not, I remember someone said one time, you expect us to work our job full time and work at the church full time. No, God expects us to be full-time Christians. That's our vocation. It's to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we've been called. What is that? That's a child of God, an ambassador of Jesus Christ. That is our mission. That's what we are to accomplish. We are to be believers, light in the world. Then, what's our message? Verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Unity. Now, you understand that unity is the theme in all of Christianity right now. Let's all just come together. Let the walls of denominational differences come down. Let's all just come together. Man, i got to lose some weight. I'm doing that way, way too well. That's rough. It hurt. See, here's the idea. People who say that just don't read the Bible. What is our... What is our message? Well, look at verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So there's only one message, there's one God, there's one faith, there's one baptism. Why are there so many faiths in the world then? Why are there so many different baptisms in the world? Why is that? Because people are not obedient to the simpleness, the simplicity of the Scriptures. That's why we have the ancient Baptist journal. That's why we write the books. That's why I travel and try to, to help churches and help colleges understand what the truth is. I'll be in Heartland Baptist College next week and I'll be teaching them on the two lines of church history. Then I'll do Baptist missions. Why do we plant churches the way that we do? Then I'll do living in Laodicea. What are the attacks against biblical ministry in this age? Same stuff that we get here. But it's just amazing. Um, I, I got a publication from a ministry that we as a church support. This pastor had written an article. And as examples of revival, he's using all of these people who held false doctrine. So I called him. And one of them was Count Zinzendorf. How many of you heard of Count Zinzendorf? Not very many. Early charismatic. Had a, had a communal ministry. and Very unusual. But this is an example of a great Christian leader that he had used. So I called him and talked to him about it. And so I was giving him some information about the people that he was talking about. And he said, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. That's because this one message has been so watered down, even in good churches, that people don't know, okay, what is baptism? What, what, how many of you think that maybe a church ought to understand what baptism is? 
How about the Great Commission? We're supposed to preach and teach, disciple people, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It's very simple, and yet that's lost. That's why there can't be unity among churches. There can be unity in the church. Amen? I'm going to start over. Amen? Amen. Good. I can always threaten people into an amen. All right. Now, so our mission, walk worthy of the vocation. Our message, one body, one spirit, one Lord, one baptism, one hope of your calling, one God. Then, how are we going to do this? Well, where does our measure come from? Look at verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Here's the deal. How are you going to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called? How are you going to proclaim the message? You're going to live that message, have it as a priority in your life because of the measure of the grace that Jesus Christ has given you. It can only be done by grace. It can only be done through the power that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. But you can. That's what we're supposed to do. Well, then, what about the messengers? How are we going to do that? Who are the messengers? Look at verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. All right, we don't have apostles anymore. The last apostle was the apostle John. The last one. We don't have apostles anymore. Apostle had to have seen Jesus Christ. Uh, they had the baptism of John. There are so many different things that apostles uh, would have. Those are the, the original 12. And then there were apostles in the period of Acts that were done when the scriptures were finished. There's no longer a need for an apostle. Then he gave some prophets. Who was a prophet? A prophet is one who spoke the word of God before it was written. We don't need prophets anymore. We have the word of God. Then uh, there were some evangelists. What are evangelists? Those are our missionaries. Those are the people that go and plant churches. They travel to a place. They establish a church. Then they go to another place, preach the gospel, establish a church. That's what the apostle Paul was. And some pastors and teachers. That pastor-teacher is the same office. The pastor has to do with the administration of the church. And then the teaching is what happens right now. Pastor-teacher. So those are the messengers. Those are the people that we have in ministry. But what is their job? And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. My job is to bring you to maturity. And the maturity is demonstrated in verse 11. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of of the fullness of Christ. Our job as pastors, Pastor Nathan, myself, our job is to teach you to do the work of the ministry. Amen? And then we all do the work of the ministry together. Uh, I've heard some people say to the preacher when they ask them to visit, that's your job. That's your job. No, 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 no. Uh -uh. My job is to teach you how to do it. And then we go together and we all do it together. Amen? So that we establish maturity. Then look at the, the way that maturity is defined. When we come unto, in the middle of verse 13, a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Isn't it funny? When you start thinking you're doing okay, you know what? I think that I'm a pretty good Christian. I think that, that I've pretty much grown 
to where God wants me to be. And then all of a sudden, you're compared to the fullness of Jesus Christ. Again, if I looked at my football ability from way back up on the fence, I looked pretty good. Well, to me, no one else. But when I got down on that field, all of a sudden, I didn't measure up. When you measure your righteousness, your holiness, your faithfulness, your sacrifice to that of Jesus Christ, you know what you find out? I got a long way to go. Amen? But then, what are some practical steps to our maturity? Well, look at what the Bible says. Verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So what is a mark of maturity? We are grounded in doctrine. When we hear false doctrine, it doesn't make us nervous. When a false teacher, when we hear that false teacher, it doesn't shake us. We know immediately that it's wrong because we're so familiar with the truth of the Word of God. But it's more than what we hear. Maturity in the Word of God for the believer is more than the ability to discern false doctrine and to stand against it. Although that is a measure of maturity. Amen? That's a step. That's growth. I remember when I was so excited when I could jump up and hit the doorway. How many of y'all remember what I'm talking about with that? I don't think I could do it anymore, but I was really excited. That was a measure for me. For Jacob at home, we have this square table that we eat at. And for Jacob, it was when he could touch both sides of the table. Well, now that's easy. For me, it's hard because I can't get close enough to the table now to do that. But it's interesting how we measure things. Well, I'm glad Jacob has grown enough to be able to do that, but I don't want him to stop there. Right? Well, here, your ability to hear truth, understand truth, and determine whether or not it's doctrinally correct, I want you to be able to do that. Many of you can. That's a step of maturity, but don't stop there. Look at the next verse. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love. Now, here's a step of maturity. How many of you, when you got saved, you immediately went and challenged your family about all the false doctrine that they were practicing? Anybody here do that? That's not maturity. How many of you found out that's not maturity, right? Um, As a young preacher, man, there's nothing more fun for a young preacher than preaching against everything in the world, man. You just tear everything apart. And the old saints out there, they sit out there and just smile. Isn't he sweet? (laughs) Now, here's the deal, man. I'm never going to stop preaching against sin, preaching against false doctrine, things that are going to hurt the church. Amen? But how many of you think there's more in the Bible than that? You see, maturity is speaking the truth in love. So for your lost loved ones, they don't need to know everything that's wrong with the church they go to. They need to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Because until they have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, that truth isn't going to mean anything to them. That's speaking the truth in love. Then look at what the text says. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Jesus Christ. Do you know when you are spiritually mature in this life? Well, when you're like Jesus Christ. Well, that's not going to happen until he takes you out of this world. 
right? Then we will be like him. Until then, you are spiritually mature when Jesus Christ is truly your head. When you are walking in the lordship of Jesus Christ. When he is your sovereign. He is your king. He is your ruler. That's spiritual maturity. Look at what the text says. When that happens, look at verse 16. From whom, that's Christ, from whom the whole body, that's, that's this church, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, that's each individual member, that's you, according to the effectual working of the measure, or the effectual working in the measure of every part, Now, that measure, what is that measure? That's the grace of God to you to accomplish this. What happens? Maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. What happens when you grow, when we as believers in Jesus Christ here at Grace Baptist Church grow up into maturity where we're all doing the work of the Lord, where we're growing into maturity in Jesus Christ. We are able to not be blown about with every wind of doctrine. When we are growing up to where we can discern the truth and discern false doctrine, and then we are able to speak the truth in love. And Jesus Christ is our head. When that happens, then this whole body is edified. It's built up. It grows. Amen? That is God making increase in this church. How many of you think that might be a good idea for the new year? Amen. Well, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, look at verse 17. Let's get practical then. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. So here, let's get practical. We're going to grow up. We're going to be mature in Jesus Christ. Well, how are we going to do that? Okay, how about you stop living like a Gentile? How about you stop walking like a lost person? How about you and I live lives that are not the same as our unsaved friends and loved ones? Uh, All of a sudden, that high thinking stuff just got very real. Because now it's more than what I believe, it's how I live. Then look at what it says. How do they live? Verse 18. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. So here is your first way to practically apply the truth of God's word. Don't live like a lost person. Don't have an ignorant and blind heart. So here, I'm going to give you some practical instruction from the Word of God. We talked about this morning that the transcendence of our worship is in direct proportion to the depth of our knowledge and understanding of God. Do you all believe that? So when we look at this text, the very simple and practical things, these are not just tips from Heloise. Right? This isn't just advice from some radio commentator. This is the Word of God. But it's so simple and practical that we think, eh, that's not that great. So now let's look at it. First of all, 
accept the Word of God and the teaching of the Word of God, not with an ignorant heart, but like the Bereans, who were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the Word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily to see if those things were so. That's Acts 17.11. You see, that's the difference, that readiness of mind. That's an informed heart, an informed mind, not an ignorant mind, not an ignorant heart, but a passionate understanding and love for God's Word and a desire to learn more. So now let's look at this. Another description of these, another description of these Gentiles. Verse 19, Who being past feeling have given themselves over to unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. So here's what the Bible says. The Apostle Paul is writing to believers, saved people in Ephesus, and he says, don't walk like lost people. So that's just two verses before. So let's apply it to Grace Baptist Church. Uh, let, me, let me put it this way. Uh, Ed Bermond. Don't be past feeling. It's interesting how many believers can sit under the preaching of the Word of God so often for so many years and have rejected the conviction of the Holy Spirit so many times that the Word of God means nothing to them. When my life is confronted, it means nothing. When, when the Word of God clearly is in contrast to my life, and I can leave here and say, oh, what's for supper? Let's go eat. Oh, there's a good football game on today. You know what that is? That's living like the Gentiles. That's being past feeling. That's what's going on. You know the believers can do that? Believers can get in a state where they simply do not care about the Word of God anymore. Aren't you glad the text doesn't stop there? Look at the next verse. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. So here's what a believer is supposed to do. Remember we talked last week that there's no way you can make yourself holy. Isn't that right? You can't make yourself holy. You can't make yourself righteous. The only righteousness that I have is the righteousness that I put on and that's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because all of my righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Isn't that right? But apparently, there are some things we can do. And look at what it says. Verse 22, that ye put off concerning the former conversation. Remember that conversation? That's your walk. That's the way that you live, your lifestyle. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So the way that you put off that old man is by a renewing of your mind. Why? Because the old man is, has their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. That's what lost people do. Stop trying to make decisions based on a worldly mindset. Make your decisions based on the Word of God. Get a new mind. Is that what the Bible says? And what happens when you do that is you take off the old man. 
It's an action. You're taking that off. It's an act of the will. It's a conscious decision. I am going by the grace of God to live differently than I used to. Amen? It's very practical. And then put on the new man. Look at what it says. Verse 24. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So here's what's supposed to happen. When you're a mature believer and you want to live for God, you're going to take off the old man, you're going to put on the new man because you're going to have a renewed mind. Amen? And then be righteous and be holy. Pastor, I agree with that. I don't want to live like the world. But what does that mean? What does that look like? Is there a certain haircut that I'm supposed to have? A certain uniform that I'm supposed to wear? What is it? What is it? Well, the Bible gets really practical. Here's the first thing the Bible tells us to do. Look at the next verse. Wherefore? Remember what you're doing. You are putting on the new man in verse 24, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore? Verse 25. Putting away lying, let every man speak truth. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. You know what the first thing you got to do is? Here's how to be righteous, not live like the world. Stop lying. Tell the truth. Well, I would never lie. No, I would never do that. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. Uh, If you have been through the the pre-marriage counseling, where we're going right now, we're beginning the text that I use for our pre-marriage counseling. And we talk about this, that there are three kinds of lying. Number one, just bald-faced lying. Just, just that's it. No, I didn't go to church today. That'd be a lie, because I'm here, right? Just bald-faced. Don't do that. How many of you know you're not supposed to do that? Okay, two other kinds of exagger- two other kinds of lying, though. Number one, omission. Omission. How many of you have ever gotten onto your kids because they told you the truth, they just left out the most important thing that they did that day? What'd you do today? Oh, I cleaned the garage and I mowed the grass and washed the windows. Oh, you're so good. And uh, burned down the woods. <laughs> right? That's omission. You know what? We do that in our own families. We do that in our own homes. Um, if I'm spending time, let's say that I'm spending time with, uh, what's your name? Anthony. Let's say that I'm spending time with Anthony. And I say, Anthony, how you doing? What's going on in your life? Oh, everything's good. When he's struggling at school, he has friends that are giving him trouble, he's having a hard time standing for the faith, whatever it is. You know, I've got a teacher that's, that, that is challenging my faith. I'm not sure how to answer them. Um, I've got a teacher that's wanting me to do better, and I'm not doing what I'm supposed to. All of those kinds of things that could be going on in this young man's life. And what do we say? Oh, it's all good. Liar, liar, pants on fire. First in the Bible says, liars shall be friars. See, that omission is lying. Now, there are some people that have no filter. You say, how are you doing? And then you say, why did I ask them that? Well, my big toe has a bunion and my... On and on and on and on. Oh, man. Somewhere in between those two is the way that the believer is supposed to walk and talk. Don't omit 
we're here to bear one another's burdens. We're here to help each other. How many of you have ever said this? You find out that a brother and sister in Christ is going through a hard time, and then you find out, and you say, why didn't you tell me? I would have helped you. You're not alone in this. That's why we got to tell each other the truth. So bald-faced lying, omission, and then exaggeration. And in a marriage and in any kind of working relationship, exaggeration will destroy. You always do that. You're never on time. You burn every meal you make me. After all these years, she still worships me. She gives me burnt offerings. <laughs> Laura's 40 years old today. So some of you men help her out. She's having a hard time down the stairs and things. Exaggeration. You never. You know things that should probably just be out of your vocabulary, never and always. You know? You're never on time for supper. I make it for you every night, and you're never here. I wonder why. <laughs> Good night. It's like walking into, you know, Lord of the Rings or something, you know. See, exaggeration, exaggeration, omission. Let's just be truthful people. How many think Christians ought to be truthful people? But it's amazing how untruthful Christians are. You know, if somebody puts Christian business on their business card, I'm probably thinking, not a chance. <laughs> this guy's going to rip me off. Isn't it awful? That's the world that we live in. Christians ought to be telling the truth. We at Grace Baptist Church need to be telling the truth. Look at the next verse, Ephesians chapter 4. Wherefore, in verse 25, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And that's what we are, right? We're all part of each other. Then look at verse 25, or verse 26. How about this one? Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. The Bible just gets way too practical, doesn't it? Any, don't, don't raise your hand, but does anybody here have anger issues? Just get I'm mad before I know I'm mad. I'm in a good full mad before I even realize it. Others, it's a slow burn, man. And it's mad for weeks and months and years. I'll forgive, but I won't forget. <laughs> and just live that way. You know, anger is not sin. You know, in our culture, like... You know, as a preacher, I get angry at sin, man. I hear some preacher lying about God. I get mad about it. You know, Jesus Christ gets mad about that. Did you know that? It's possible to be angry and not sin. It's not possible to be angry with your brother or sister in Christ and stay that way and not sin. You can't do it. You can't do it. And it's interesting. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Twelve hours is long enough to be mad. God knows you, man. He knows your frame. He knows your butt dust. How many of you have gotten mad this past year? Anybody? Anyone? Okay. Oh, you wicked sinner. You can't be a Christian then. That's ridiculous. God knows you're going to get mad, but he says, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. In your relationship, don't go to bed mad. Don't do that. Because over time, 
that develops into bitterness and wrath and malice. And it's just, it's like it drips, it oozes with just nastiness. That's what happens in the relationship when you're angry. Now imagine we have, we have four people in our immediate family. And so imagine that, that Laura sets the table for dinner and she sets an extra place. There's five plates there. And one of the kids say, who's the extra plate for? Oh, that's for Satan. How many of you think that would be weird? A little, little different? Now you know what our house is like. But imagine. How many of you think that would be weird? Look at the, look at the next verse says. Neither give place to the devil. When you go to bed angry, you are, you are providing a place for Satan to work in your life. Now, the simple fact is, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? Uh, Let me just clear something up right here. It is impossible for a believer to be possessed by the devil. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If you're born again, you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You are not filled with Satan. Amen? But you can provide an area in your life for Satan to work. Just by being angry. Just by going to bed angry. (sighs) Pastor, you overstate everything. (laughs) And I've told you a million times not to exaggerate. Now listen. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. We've been talking about the transcendence of God, the depth of your knowledge of God. We've been talking about righteousness and true holiness. And now when it gets down to actual practical things that we can see and touch and feel and relate to, we're thinking, come on. I'm just telling you, you go to bed angry, you are giving Satan a place to work in your life and in your home. Get in control of yourself. You are not an animal. Forgive. Then, next practical step. It's amazing how practical this is. Let him that stole steal no more. We need to send that verse to Congress. (laughs) But rather let him labor. We need to send that one to Congress too. Working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Here's why you work. You work because you're supposed to provide for your own. No one else, it's no one else's responsibility to provide for you. Amen. That's why you work. But that's not the only reason you work. You work so that you can help meet the needs of people that are in trouble. Man, if we live in such selfish ways that we can't help our brothers and sisters in Christ, the Bible says, as you have opportunity, be good to them, that, uh, to, to those that are of the household of faith. I am supposed to, if my brothers and sisters are in need, I'm supposed to be able to help them. So it's interesting If you're not giving properly, you're stealing. You're stealing. Is that what the Bible just said? Am I making it up? Look, let's read the verse again. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. If you don't live in a way that you can help other believers then you are stealing. That's what the Bible just said. 
That's what the Bible just said. It's amazing how practical the Word of God is. And another thing that's always amazing to me is how God brings your money always. When He's dealing with practical things, He always deals with your money. Why? Because where the treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's it. Who are you investing in? Who are you investing in? Then, look at the next verse. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now, on that verse, I always thought that was talking about swearing. It's not. So you guys go ahead and swear all that you want. No, that's not what it's saying. Don't swear. But that's not what this is talking about. The Bible defines what it's talking about. Look at what it says. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So corrupt communication is communication that doesn't build up. If it doesn't build up, it's corrupt communication. If it doesn't minister grace, it's corrupt communication. Jacob, come up here for a minute. Get up here. You are so stupid. Do what I tell you to do when I tell you. How many? You're a, I'm sick of you. I can't believe you're my son. He's laughing. I'm being serious this time and you're laughing. No. You know why he's laughing? I, I would never talk to him that way. You know what I tell him? And Jake, have I ever said this? You know better than that. You got a better mind than that. You need to use the mind that God gave you. Have we ever had that conversation? <laughs> Daily. You see, if I tell him he's stupid enough, what's he going to think? That he's stupid. If I tell him God can never use him, what's he going to believe? That God can never use him. If I tell him God's got a plan for your life, God gave you a good mind, if you don't use that mind, I'm going to help you. <laughs> There's a difference, isn't there? There's a huge difference. Thanks, buddy. There's a huge difference. Um, you know, how about you guys? If you're not happy with the way that your wife cooks for you, you never cook anything I like. Well, you weigh 300 pounds. Apparently, you're getting it somewhere. You know a better way to say that? Just have a conversation with her. You know what I like? I like this. Would you mind making this for me? I re or how about this? I really like it when you make this. But the problem is she made you something nasty and you lied about it. Yeah, that's good. You tell her you like something, she's going to give it to you again. Tell the truth. The drama will be over in a few minutes. She's not going to let the sun go down upon her wrath. It's going to be okay. Isn't it amazing how practical the Bible is? It's unbelievably practical. Here's the idea. Speak to them the way you want them to become. That's ministering grace. That's building them up. That's what edifying means. So the words that I'm going to use, I'm going to build you up. Nick works with our music. Maureen works with our music. If there's something in our music going on that I don't like, I just talk with them about it. And I try to explain to them why we're trying to accomplish what we are trying to accomplish. I don't tell them, man, you're, I hate your music. What are you doing? Of course, that's the way he hears it sometimes, but that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> he wouldn't play very long if that's the way that I treated him. And yet we treat people in our homes that way. Sometimes we treat our employees if we have people under us that way. That's just not right. That's corrupt communication. Don't let that proceed out of your mouth. Then look at the next verse. And grieve not the Spirit of God, 
Oh no, if you do these things, you're going to lose your salvation. It's so wonderful the way that God clears up controversial issues in the context. He always does. Look at the whole verse. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. That's good stuff, isn't it? You're sealed until the day of redemption, but you can still grieve the Holy Spirit. So what does the Holy Spirit do in your life? The Holy Spirit empowers you for service. The Holy Spirit interprets the Word of God for you. The Holy Spirit communicates your needs when you pray. The Holy Spirit communicates those needs to the, to the Son and to the Father for you. The Holy Spirit convicts you of sin. The Holy Spirit it, it just controls your life, right? So when you grieve the Holy Spirit, all that stops. You're still sealed. Just your prayers aren't answered. Your power for service is gone. Your ability to understand the Word of God is gone. Your ability to receive the preaching and teaching of God's Word is gone. Why? Because you've grieved the Holy Spirit. You need to get right with God so the Holy Spirit will become active in your life again. Amen? But you don't lose your salvation because you're sealed until the day of redemption. What's the day of redemption? That's when Jesus Christ comes back to get us. We're redeemed from this land, from this earth. All right, then, look at the next verse. These last two verses are the summary of the whole topic. Let all bitterness and wrath, anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Here's how you are going to live a holy life. Here's how you're going to put off the old man, renew your mind, put on the new man and true righteousness and holiness. Here's how you're going to do this. Let all bitterness be put away from you. What is bitterness? Bitterness is the result, it's the residue of the anger that you didn't get rid of. It's that lump, that weight, it's that pus that you allow to just, just eat you up. It's awful. That's what bitterness is. How many of you have experienced bitterness? You know what I'm talking about. You've experienced it. Yeah. It's, one of, it's one of the most destructive. It's the acid of your life. Then, let all bitterness and wrath. What's wrath? Wrath is the acting out of the anger. And it's awful. Put that away. And then look at what it says. So let all bitterness and wrath and anger, just reminding you, and clamor. What's clamor? That's the noise that comes from anger. The slamming of the doors, the banging around, the grumbling, the, just the noise. The, clamor is the opposite of peace. You don't want that in your home. You don't want that in your life. We don't want that in the church. Then, and evil speaking. What's evil speaking? Corrupt communication. Put all of that away with all malice. This is an interesting thing. That with all malice. It's, it's a very ambiguous sentence. When the Bible is ambiguous, I personally believe that God wants us to have both meanings. Here, let me illustrate. So you're going to put it away with all malice. So that means you're going to put away the bitterness, wrath, anger, evil speaking, clamor, and malice. Put all of that away from you. Obviously, that's what God wants us to do. What is malice? Malice is the evil intent that goes along with bitterness, anger, wrath. That's what the malice is. The flip side of it is, put away your bitterness, anger, wrath, evil speaking. Put that all away maliciously. Man, I hate that stuff in my life. That will ruin my home. That will ruin this church that will ruin my effectiveness in ministry, that will ruin my ability to minister to my extended family, that will... I hate that stuff. 
Get it out of here. So that's the negative side of it. Now look at the positive side, the positive action that you're supposed to take. Verse 32, and be ye kind one to another. I remember early in our relationship, early in our marriage, um, if you see me doing this, these pants are way too long from here to here. If I pulled them up, they'd be right here. They're driving me crazy. I just had to vent a little bit right there. Early on in our marriage, um, we were having some struggles, you know, not divorce struggles, but early marriage stuff, if you can imagine living with me, you know. Um, and here's what she said. I said, what do you want? What, what can I do? Here's what she said. Just be kind. That's all I want. Just be kind. Do you realize how much that helps in life if you can just be kind? How many of you have gone to McDonald's here and you order something? And you almost want to apologize before you order it. You know, they're so mean at these places around here. Um, Josh Ferrier bought some donuts a couple of months ago for the Sunday school class. And he said, I'd like two dozen donuts. Well, I suppose you can since I have 25. I guess you can have two donuts. And I love this. He said, I'm sorry for buying donuts from you. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? How, how many of you have recognized how awful people in stores are around here sometimes? Uh, just... Good. So we went to Chicago for Thanksgiving and uh, Chicago area, and so we went to McDonald's and we had we're sitting there waiting for our order and the, the they had to we had to wait and so the girl brings it out and she comes out with a big smile and she says I'm I'm sorry you had to wait thank you for buying your stuff here or whatever what she said and Laura and I just looked at each other we were shocked we didn't know what to do um okay uh, it's just amazing. And the difference it makes when someone is kind to you. Well, how about if we are kind to each other? And be ye, it's a command, you know, kind one to another. So all this stuff that's just come by, if we're going to have a great year at Grace Baptist, if you're going to have a great year in your home, if you're going to have a great year at work, just be kind to people. Then look at the next verse, or look at the rest of the verse. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted. What is tender-hearted? When I'm kind, then I my heart is soft to the needs of the people around me. That's what tender-hearted is. That's just the opposite of having that ignorant heart that we looked at earlier in the chapter. A blind heart. No, we're supposed to have a tender heart. So be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You wouldn't believe how mean Boots Clawson was to me. She said the nastiest stuff to me after church the other day. I don't know if I'm ever going to get over it. Now, maybe you think that would be pretty silly coming from your pastor. You don't know Boots. <laughs> it's interesting. How many of you immediately see the humor in that because it's just the opposite of her behavior? Isn't that right? Why? Because she's kind. She's tender-hearted. And we are supposed to forgive one another in that way. Why? Because God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. If you've been forgiven, forgive. So now this is the practical side to your righteousness and holiness. Stop lying. Amen? Speak the truth. Don't be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Stop stealing. Work. Work hard. 
so that you have to give to those that are in need. And then let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. It's amazing the transcendence of our worship is in direct proportion to the depth and knowledge of our understanding of God. We love to find those deep things of God. Wednesday night we're going to look at who are the two witnesses in Revelation. That's interesting stuff, right? So is be ye kind one to another. The difference is the two witnesses don't really matter a whole lot to our living right now. Being kind, forgiving, tenderhearted is the most important thing in living out your faith. Now, you know we're not a social gospel church. Amen? But how about we speak the truth in love with a life that backs up exactly what we are saying? We're going to have a great year. Thank you, Lord, for your word. It is so convicting.